Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in today's episode, we will have a guest that is an investor and owner of a compounding pharmacy in San Diego. Uh, Carly has is not a pharmacist by uh, training, but she has uh, really a deep knowledge of pharmacy now. Uh, she's got a great history in healthcare and has really uh, taken on to pharmacy and all of the opportunities within the field. She is invested and connected with several different companies, and I think you'll find this a really interesting episode to hear some of the different areas uh, that will be exciting in the future of pharmacy. Hope you enjoy. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is uh, Carly Stockdale, who is a partner at The Farmery. It is a compounding pharmacy and consumer products company focusing on women and men navigating menopause and andropause, sexual health, thyroid dysfunction, and other common issues through midlife. Carly currently advises and invests in digital health companies as an angel investor and was previously a medical records startup entrepreneur, management consultant, and healthcare administrator. Carly, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Hillary. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you could Fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. Yeah, um, I'm located in San Diego, living with my family uh, very close to the beach. I think you covered most of it, and we'll probably get into some specifics around my background, but um, love really everything about women's health and digital health and healthcare innovation. Um, and I'm really excited to be on here today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah. Well, we're excited to learn a bit more. Um, so I'll, I will point out that you did not go to pharmacy school, although you found yourself in pharmacy. So I'd love to dig into, you know, kind of your background and how you, you got interested in healthcare first and then maybe kind of hear about your your journey to pharmacy. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to share it. My interest in healthcare really started at a young age. My father needed a liver transplant uh, starting from middle school and going through that experience firsthand, uh, I think really gave me an early impression that healthcare was an area that needed a lot of improvement and required a lot of active navigation. And I just always have found myself in healthcare, and I think it really stems from that early experience. Um, And so after college and grad school, I I did both kind of focusing on healthcare or health policy or health politics or business and healthcare. I really focused on healthcare service delivery. So how do we make healthcare better? How do we make it more acceptable? Um, I started my career at Mass General under the CFO in their in their fellowship program, 
um, and just got a lot of exposure to different different medical services there and then went on from there to management consulting for larger healthcare groups. We're really focused on the healthcare um, provider side and didn't really touch pharmacy that much until more recently when um, I joined Prelude. Prelude is a network of uh, fertility clinics around the country. And when I joined, I was really recruited by the investors um, who had a very grand vision for building a large network. And when we started, it was just focusing on, uh, we'd started with one clinic. The vision was to build to many clinics around the country, which we did. But um, what we did very early on as well was we acquired a pharmacy and that pharmacy was focused exclusively on fertility drugs. Um, and I think that was a real moment for me in my career where I hadn't really thought of pharmacy or um, that business line as being one that has a really big impact on the patient experience. But as part of my role at Prelude, I really worked on and thought about how do we improve our, the patient experience? Like how do we differentiate and how do we make this really painful chapter in someone's lives potentially, right? Some, a couple that's been infertile and, and requires IVF, um, um, IVF in order to conceive a child, maybe multiple rounds. Obviously there's a lot of emotional pain and, and a lot of, um, cost associated with that. But when you asked a lot of our patients, you know, to describe the experience and really, um, identify where those pain points were, it was really interesting and surprising to me that so many of them focused on the um, on the drug delivery. So, you know, the actual injections of the drugs and how difficult that was for them to navigate. Um, infertility is particularly important. Uh, you know, anyone patients can spend anywhere from three to maybe even fifty five hundred dollars per cycle on their drugs. Um, the drugs have to be taken at the exact right time, um, day by day. You know, some of these drugs have to be refrigerated, so it really limits travel. And in general, most patients have not had um, to inject themselves with anything ever before. So it can be a somewhat traumatic experience, and it really, it, it happens over a long period of time and maybe for multiple cycles. So it was just such an important part of what we did. And so I, I spent a lot more time thinking about, you know, how can we as a clinical services company really assist with this pharmacy experience and make it make it as painless and possible as possible or just one where patients feel like they're as prepared as they can be for ultimately what what the outcome that they're seeking, which is um, having a baby. Yeah. Wow. That that's a really powerful powerful story. And I bet a lot of, uh, people, even, uh, even pharmacy students or, or those don't even realize how involved that, um, drug delivery and, and, you know, patient education and just dependability. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste 
compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Um, you just really have to wrap around patients in that vulnerable time. Uh, but it's also a really exciting uh, time. And um, yeah, that, that's that's really powerful. So, so Carly, that was not the farmery where you are now, correct? You kind of yeah. then made a transition to more of like women's and, and men's health. Yeah. And, and just like to touch on your earlier point, I think, you know, if I'm a pharmacy student or a pharmacist listening to this, I think, I think one of, you know, the bigger trends that I've noticed over the last few years, just in my development as a healthcare professional has been like a realization of how much room there is for impact by pharmacists on, on the healthcare service experience for patients. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned fertility because I think it's, it was just so obvious. Like it was just, it was, this pharmacist wasn't available at, you know, at exactly 7.30 PM when this patient had to take their trigger shot and wasn't available to, you know, jump on a video call with this patient and kind of guide them through it, that, that could be like a very traumatic experience. So I think having that opportunity to play that role for in a patient's life is, is pretty awesome. And then going on, I mean, I ultimately moved on from Prelude, which was a fertility company after I, I had my first child. And, um, while I was pregnant, I had a very high risk pregnancy of gestational diabetes and just had to navigate, just had a very, again, firsthand experience of trying to navigate through a lot of information, or in this instance, lack thereof. You know, obviously, it's the available research in women's health and on women is is um, pretty scant in the first place. Like at this point, men have kind of become the default patient. And so any studies that focus specifically on women are by nature more expensive. And so there's fewer of them. And that applies especially to something like a high-risk pregnancy um, where I had gestational diabetes. And it was just such a that, – that was also a traumatic experience where you realize when you, when you have to rely on such low um, sources of information, you have to kind of make decisions for yourself and your, and your, and your healthcare and, and potentially even your baby that aren't necessarily based in like a dearth of, of uh, clinical trials, which is obviously a place where you want to be. And I just started thinking about women's health and the research that we have and, and realized that, you know, while fertility was very well funded and had a ton of it, when you look at something like menopause or later stage um, care for women after their, you know, productive from a reproductive standpoint, there, there's even less. Um, and so I just got really interested in that field and started thinking about how can we start better enabling women to um, access high quality care at this stage in their life when when there's not many resources and when OBGYNs only have 15 minutes and things like that. And, and I kind of drew upon that fertility experience of seeing the pharmacy where, you know, infertility, you actually have dedicated specialty pharmacies where the pharmacists day in and day out focus on this one specialty. Here in 
uh, menopause, this was another area where I could really see that being of uh, like of high value, right? Women and men often um, go on to hormone therapy at some point in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and and stay on it for a long time. And that's really something that's an area of science that's changed a lot over the last, you know, almost 20 years. Um, when you know the first the WHI um, study came out and and started saying that hormone therapy led to you know very scary outcomes for cancer, and you know over the last ten years I think a lot of that information or the, those like messages have been debunked, and so we now know that estrogen and hormone therapy is actually very important for um, reduction of chronic disease, and so. It just became something that sounded really exciting to me, which was like creating a pharmacy that's completely focused on this one vertical and this one type of patient so that we could deliver a higher level of service um, for these patients. Yeah, definitely. So share a little bit about what some of those services look like uh, that you offer at the farmery. Yeah, so when I was looking... At pharmacies, it was it. It came down to a few things. Um, are we going to obviously with with we want to focus on on what what our patients need? And so, so you know, experience in um, in women's health, I, th- I think, and sexual medicine requires requires you know a, a extended experience in compounding. So it became really important um, that you know, I partnered with someone, I required a pharmacy or started a business in, in compounding where, um, you know, they, we can produce drugs that are, are, are really important for that field. I think, you know, when I was looking at it, I'm obviously not a pharmacist. So, you know, objective one was really finding a partner who shared a vision of creating an awesome patient experience and innovating and making it more digitalized and, and focusing on this type of patient. And so, um, I, I did a search looking at a bunch of pharmacies in three different states, focusing on those things, like how much experience do you have focusing on compounding in hormone therapy? How much do your customers love you? Like, do you just have a fantastic Yelp review account? And um, how excited are you about innovating in the field? And so I looked all over and I landed, you know, 30 minutes away from my mom's house. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. The farmery is located in Oceanside, uh, California, and you know we're just getting started, but we're focused on hormone therapy products, um, uh, which are, are really sent as as it's very much like uh, you know at this point we're almost all um, subscription um, uh, mail orders, so um, patients who are receiving their drugs at home. Um, and so we really try to focus on on making our patients, you know, feel great and understand the benefits of the drugs that they're choosing, and um, supporting the doctors that we work with as well. Awesome. So, Carly, thanks for kind of walking through a lot of the different services and things, um, just so people can kind of visualize what a you know pharmacy does to help support women's health, um, specifically with, with related to hormone needs and things like that. Um, but you're also, you know, I, I also definitely want to cover some of the investor piece and, you know, in the intro I mentioned, or that you do angel investing, but 
some of our listeners may not be familiar with that term. Could you kind of share a little bit about what it, what some of the different levels of investing looks like, um, just from a basic level and then kind of how you approach new opportunities, um, and, and kind of, yeah, from, from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So angel investing, you know, I don't know the, uh, the official term and I might, I might just cheat here and, and make sure I'm not misleading anyone. But so to me, angel investing is, is basically um, people who are interested in, in, in investing in small um, new business ventures. Um, and um, they provide that capital for startups, for expansion and growth. And for me, what makes that very different from other early stage investing is as an angel, you're doing it alone. Others that participate in that early stage investments are um, venture capitalists. And so often these are groups of investors or single investors that create a fund from outside capital. Um, so that's, that's investors that might be interested to invest, but they'll hire others like venture capitalists to deploy that capital. For me, I've been investing since 2012. I kind of I kind of started in a weird way and in real estate, flipping a few houses, um, and took the profits that I took from that um, and put it into early stage investments. And for me, what it is, it's 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 about helping um, companies that really should exist and should come to fruition in my mind, or or are led by fantastic people who can who really have a thesis around some value that they'll bring to the world and 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 ultimately making that happen. And because it's so early stage and because it's maybe a crazy idea, they can't access m- money elsewhere, so say from a bank for, for example. And so traditionally my my investments have focused on in digital health just because that's the area where where I, I, I have the most understanding and I can um, potentially be helpful and, and, and really an area that I have a big passion for. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that there is going to be just significant jumps in digital health. I, I, I think even a new category called like digital practitioners, we've already kind of seen that term popping up a little bit. Uh, but especially after this coronavirus period where you're just seeing huge spikes in telemedicine use. Um, but of course, uh, telepharmacy comes right with that. So definitely seeing some of that, that digital health. So you're, you're probably ahead of the game on that. So, um, maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, kind of thinking on, coronavirus. Um, well, we will just hit on that super briefly. What are some of the things that you guys are doing at the farmery to just, you know, prepare and, um, think through and, you know, are you shifting any of your, your business, uh, models, um, to help just for this time period? Yeah. Um, hold that thought on digital health. I definitely want to come back to that because I think that's something really interesting to talk to just for, for your viewers if, if you're interested in, to dive into it. 
But on on the on coronavirus, I mean, obviously, we're, we're living in this new world, and I agree with you. I think I think the changes that we're seeing happen because of coronavirus. I mean, just just anything from um, lifting the restrictions on on telemedicine between states, um, uh, allowance of certain and like um, reimbursement of certain telemedicine codes that weren't previously covered. I I think what it's done is accelerated probably a lot of a lot of growth in the industry that is should have maybe happened eight years ago um, and I think will be very hard to reverse you know once you open the floodgates it's hard to go back so I think operating in this new digital health environment is is a very healthy thing to do and and I think I, I think companies and pharmacists and everyone out there can kind of um, start thinking about this new world and where they want to where they want to contribute to it because I think it, it, you know, it's going to look very differently. It, healthcare service delivery is going to look very different after this, and I think this, you know, this is certainly an inflection point that we've that we've gone past. And so I'm I'm really excited for that. Um, on coronavirus, which is um, obviously devastating, we've taken very practical measures at the pharmacy. So anything, I mean, it really started with, I think, education for our patient or education for our team, you know, new policies and procedures, really our team members are encouraged to, you know, never be out in public unless they absolutely have to, which isn't too hard. We've been in California with the shelter in place rules for a while. For our patients, it's really around, you know, communicating the need for them to get a few refills in place. Obviously, I as you know, uh, drug supplies are often coming from overseas. And so, we don't want anyone to be stuck without their medications. And then we were already a large portion of patients were already receiving their drugs in the mail. But for those that haven't already, we've been um, really um, encouraging them to transition to that to that uh, automated medication delivery just so just so that we can reduce the number of people in the pharmacy. Um, what's also really cool is we've um, started producing and then and then, and then partnering for distribution um, with a local distri- distillery um, to create huge amounts of san- hand sanitizer. So mm-hmm. we're um, making uh, 500 gallons for a local hospital, and some of our providers that we're working with have gotten some as well. I think long term, when I think about like what we need to do as a pharmacy to assist the providers that we work with currently is kind of help with that transition to, to telemedicine. We as a pharmacy really moved to telemedicine. We now support, you know, text and like we have um, um, digital messaging and an app where we communicate with our patients entirely. And so um, how can we help our providers get to that is going to be like a huge objective of the pharma of the farmery go forward. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. So, so continuing on the digital health um, kind of topic, or I guess coming back to that, let's let's talk about a few other things that you're kind of predicting for the future. Or seeing, oh, cool! I love that. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I think as you already mentioned, telemedicine is so interesting uh, and and certainly impacting the world of pharmacy. I think. You know, I, you, you can probably talk about this for an hour, but some the cross exchange between telemedicine and pharmacy. We're seeing, you know, non traditional companies focused on pharmaceuticals like GoodRx, um, really taking a dip into telemedicine. Um, we're seeing the the growth of really large industrial um, 
um, back-end pharmacies like TruePill, which can serve as, you know, almost the clinical operation for big consumer-facing brands that are deploying telemedicine. And so we're seeing, you know, traditional and non-traditional pharmacy models pair with um, telemedicine platforms in really interesting ways. One, one company that I um, invested in, I think, in 2012 um, it's called WellTrack One. They originally, they, um, they were giving annual wellness visits for Medicare patients. So what they would do is they would send a patient, or I'm sorry, a nurse on site to a doctor's office and they would, and, and they would perform that annual wellness visit. And I think um, over the last year or two, they've actually expanded those services beyond that annual wellness visit to include um, advanced care planning, chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, and deploying licensed pharmacists to the practices to do those services, which is really interesting because, you know, when Pete, who's the CEO of this company, was telling me about this, I was really interested in um, in, in in why pharmacists, you know, I'd never seen that happen before. And he, he really pointed to the fact that, you know, medication reconciliation is one of the most critical cost savers in healthcare today. So, the best people to do that are pharmacists themselves. And so here's, you know, a very real um, career opportunity for, for pharmacists that maybe more want to focus on that, on that patient um, counseling portion of, of what they do and, and really give them an opportunity to, you know, operate at the top of their license and, and, and really pair with clinical care providers on the ground to speak with and directly counsel these patients that might have, um, some real medication reconciliation needs. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I love that you hit on, um, you know, practicing at the top of their license, because I think that, you know, whether you are a, you know, pharmacy pharmacist at, you know, a retail setting or hospital setting, and, and sometimes people will even use the word like just a staff pharmacist or just a this. And, um, but, but that pharmacy degree is so versatile, you know, there's, there's all these new things kind of coming and, and hitting the market. So, um, yeah, I, I love kind of thinking about the future and, um, agree. We're going to be seeing a lot of, a lot of interesting things. Any other kind of things that you're predicting or, or that it excites you about the future of pharmacy? Totally. Uh, and, and just to build on what you just said, Hillary, I think, you, you know, your combination of an MBA and, and PharmD to me, I mean, what a great time to really explore like what, what the possibilities are now that these restrictions on telemedicine and just regulations are coming down and, and um, payers are thinking more expansively about healthcare. And I think even most importantly, consumers are taking a more active interest in their own healthcare. You know, this whole farm to table movement and now and then like farm to face movement. And now I think consumers are getting more interested in what's in their drugs. And so um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of places to play and think about. Two that come to mind. One, uh, there's a company that I'm advising um, named Valisher. It's it's called the company. It's it's the pharmacy that checks. And so I think you did a previous uh, podcast on how you know 80% of medications today in the U.S. are made from materials coming from India and China. And so Valisher is actually the first pharmacy attached to a laboratory. And what they do is they check every batch of medication and they analyze it before getting dispensed. 
And so they essentially kind of give it a sign off on, on having any kind of carcinogenic um, um, or otherwise dangerous substances in the drugs. Um, mm. And what they've, what they've done is that they've actually rejected, um, I think it's like over 10% of the batches they've analyzed and which is, which is scary and, and open your eye, opens your eyes. I mean, this morning, the FDA actually announced a global recall of Zantac based on um, the findings that, that Valisher had in its pharmacy. So if we start thinking about those implications, right, like what are we actually putting in our bodies? What kind of, what kind of safety measures do we have in place? And now that we're looking at coronavirus and, um, you know, potential disruptions to our supply chain, where we used to have how many, and I don't know the number, I'm not an expert on this, but I, I believe we had, you know, 20 or 30 or a certain number of FDA commission, um, of FDA employees actually kind of overseeing quality control of these, of the supply in China. Um, right. They've all had to come home. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do we really ensure quality of these drugs that we're taking um, when they've found, you know, quality, you know, carcinogens and metformin and Zantac? So I think we're just at the beginning of that story. And I think pharmacists have, a, have an important role to play in staying up on that information and ultimately, you know, sourcing where or advising patients on where they should be getting drugs that are, that are you know, safe for consumption. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a huge, huge thing to keep on our radars going forward. Um, for sure. Very timely. Yes. With the, with the ranitidine being completely recalled from the market. Right. Um, exactly. Exactly. We've been seeing, you know, more and more of that in different products and yeah, even all the OTCs are being pulled. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, speaking, just speaking on OTCs, you know, you're asking about other things we're seeing. I think um, a consumer, this concept of of innovating on the consumer experience in medicine or, or really meeting patients where they are and giving them, you know, just thinking about where are their drugs coming from. Um, there's another company that I would just mention, which is Cabinet. They're creating a curated medicine kits. So they focus on, you know, products that take, um, that move with people and meet with them where they, where they are. So something like, you know, covering their life events, like when they're home or go to college. And what they did in the face of coronavirus is they actually created a set of kits focused on preparedness. And so, you know, this concept of delivery that they thought was very important here, these OTC products that we're going to deliver to your home is now now not just a convenience, but a necessity. And they actually instituted a pay what you can policy for all purchasers of their of their drug kits. So you see a lot of innovation happening among these um, among among these companies. And I just think with coronavirus and thinking about, you know, what are the new needs of patients? Um, they're all learning to, I think, adjust in a very real way and get to know their patients and 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 who they're who's get to know their new sets of patients, um, in a new way as well. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Necessity is, is the mother of, of innovation Mm -hmm. or invention, right? So very interesting. Well, Carly, this has been such an interesting discussion. I know our listeners have 
uh, learned a lot about a lot of different areas of pharmacy practice. Um, so uh, this has been great. And as our final question that I like to ask all of our guests is, what's some advice that you would tell your younger self? And I usually say, or for other pharmacists who are just, but I think just in general, you know, you've had a, a really kind of getting a little bit to like mid career-ish, or at least had definitely a lot of good wins. You're not super early in your career at this point. You've had, you know, a lot of um, big, big wins and, and advances. So what's some advice that you would tell your younger self? I think the biggest, that's a good question. And I think, you know, when I think about the biggest advice that I would give myself, my younger self, um, it would, you know, it would be focusing on, on gaining the skills that you need to do what you want to do. I think sometimes, and maybe I, I was a little guilty of this and I'm still probably guilty of this. You, you, you look at something that you think is really interesting or exciting to work on or contribute to, and that kind of guides your career path. And I think there's a lot of validity for that, like follow your passion, et cetera, et cetera. But I think actually, if you know what your passion is, so say, for example, as working on global health and, and when I was younger, what I wanted to do, I wanted to work on bringing just increasing access to drugs in, in rural areas in Africa and around the world. And so focusing on getting the skills that most people don't have in working in that area. So, you know, building those hard modeling skills or figuring out um, how to um, learning different languages or, or what, whatever it is, it's, it's, I think getting the skills first in the areas in at places that you don't necessarily expect. So for example, I went, into consulting to learn more of the hard skills that relate to um, healthcare management and entrepreneurship. Um, and I didn't necessarily love every minute of it, but I think it gave me a lot of perspective and it helped me um, um, ultimately get into the fields that I wanted to later. Um, so I, I think that would be it. it. It's kind of like going after your function, going after getting the skills that support critically needed functions and, and ultimately what your area of passion is. Yeah, that, that's great. That's great advice. Well, Carly, it has been such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I would also say I, I am still very much at the beginning of my career and I think learning every day and if I can be helpful to anyone on the podcast or help um, introduce them to any of the companies that I've mentioned, please reach out. And then at the Farmery um, in San Diego, we are always hiring, um, you know, great compound pharmacists that are really passionate about our mission. And so if that's of interest as well, please reach out. Thank you so awesome. much Marie, for having me. Great. Great. Thank you so much, Carly. Hey listeners, thanks again for tuning in to this episode. I hope you learned a little bit more about investing and some of the things that investors look for in a business. Uh, there are a lot of great new opportunities in the pharmacy world. And so I hope that leaves you optimistic about the future. Uh, again, if you have any uh, guests that you want to hear from, reach out to me on Instagram 
at Talk to Your Pharmacist. Be sure to follow us and join our Facebook page at Talk to Your Pharmacist. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.